from Jesus what he taught us to do to prepare for the end. And to prepare for the end cannot be, in the words of Jesus, if we're learning from him, it cannot be to hell with them. They are just ruining their lives. They're too far gone. Not just those groups of people, but those individuals. Because that's the problem, isn't it? When we say, I'm just done with them, they're too far gone, we write off human beings. There's an old comic strip from Peanuts and Linus at the end of the comic strip. says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Don't we feel that way sometimes, right? Or, or, or even more so, it used to be a joke, and now I, I think, think people are very honest and open about it, that they treat their pets better than they treat their people. Yeah. When we say, oh, everything's just getting worse, people are getting worse, we, we write people off, we cancel people. We kick them out, they, they can't do those things. And whenever we do that, that is actually the opposite of what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. It's never to write anyone off, no matter how far we think they've gone, no matter how bad that person or that individual or that group or that state or whatever, we don't ever write people off. See, what Jesus is going to teach us today is that to prepare for the end means we need to change how we treat other people now. How we interact with the human beings around us who are made in the image of God. And even, especially the people that we think they're way too far gone, there's no way they'll ever recover, there's no way they'll ever get over that or get better or, or, or stop doing such stupid things. Those are the people that we are supposed to love and care for the most. And Jesus is going to teach us to put the least, the last, and the lost first. That's what he's going to teach us today through his own example and then through a couple stories that he teaches, is that we need to, to put the least, the last, and the lost first. And that is actually how we prepare for the end. Not to say, oh, I'm, I'm done with them, enough of them, I'm going to you know, just wash my hands of those people, I'm going to go make my own bunker and make sure that me and my family are taken care of at the end. No, 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 that's not what we do. To prepare for the end, we care for the least and the last and the lost. And we're going to see this in Luke chapter 14. We've got a lot of scripture to cover today, so we're going to go from verse 1 all the way through Verse 24, so follow along, because the first thing we're going to see from Jesus and his own example is to put the least first, put the least first. So we pick this up in verse 1 of chapter 14, where it says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. So here it says it's a Sabbath. That was a Saturday. That was the day that Jews worshipped God. And they would take that. They would go to synagogue in the morning on Saturday or to temple if they were close enough to the temple. They would hear teaching just like we do today on Sundays, right? You go to church on a Sunday, and then afterwards, what do you do? Well, you hang out, okay? That, that's what a lot of church family does. And Jesus probably was the visiting teacher. He was a rabbi, and he'd come, and he came. He was, you know, the speaker for the day, and he's come in. So the people that ran this synagogue, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are like, well, hey, come on over after church for Sunday brunch, right? Saturday. But you guys get the picture, right? It's, it's everybody coming over. It's we got to invite the guy, even if they maybe didn't like him, because it says they're carefully watching him. They're like waiting for him to mess up. But they invite him over because he's the speaker. I guess we got to listen to him. And we're going to watch him because there's something off about this guy. Who cares how popular he is? There's got to be something wrong with him. And on their way to this Pharisee's house, it says there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. So he has some kind of medical condition that's going on that's causing swelling, that there's fluid building up in part of his body. And in those days, there was no ER that they could take him to. 
There was no hospital, no doctors that, that could really see him at that time, so he's there suffering. He's probably in pain. That's what that means. He's looking for help. And Jesus sees the man on the Sabbath. This is interesting. If you follow real closely in this Gospel of Luke, twice already, twice already, this is chapter 14 of 24, twice already Jesus has healed someone on the Sabbath day and people got mad at him. Why? Because the Sabbath was a day that you don't work. It was a day of rest. It was commanded, okay, you're supposed to rest, and if you're going to heal someone, that's work. So you can't heal someone. So there's debates about this, what, you know, what's going on. So people would kind of confront Jesus about this the two other times that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. But this time, it's the third time this is going to happen. So Jesus is just like, I'm just stepping into this, right? It's kind of what Jesus did, like inviting controversy almost. He's like, see that dude right there? Suffering, in pain, swelling. You guys don't want to go near him. You're not going to help him because it's the Sabbath. He says, is it lawful, he asked these people, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? Nobody says anything. They're all thinking, no, 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 it's not lawful. It's, it's not okay. It's, it's the Sabbath day. But they don't want to say anything because here's this guy suffering right in front of them. So everybody's just silenced, all these religious leaders. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> he heals the man. Immediately, instantaneously, the man is healed. His swelling goes away. He's no longer suffering. Jesus doesn't care about these religious rules that people have put together, um, that they've uh, um, put in place. He, he just says, no, no, we got to heal this guy. This guy is hurting. He's in need. Let's help him. There's a need. I can help with it. I'm going to do it. And then Jesus even confronts them again. He's like, oh, oh, by the way, if one of your oxen fell into a pit, would you bring it out on the Sabbath? And they're all probably like, yeah, I, I guess so, because we treat our animals better than we treat our people, right? Okay, what, what about your son? If your son was sick, would you do something to take care of your son? And they're all kind of have to nodding along even though they're silent nobody wants to say anything Jesus is like you treat your animals your pets <laughs> your livestock i guess in that case you you treat your own family well but you won't treat this person in need right in front of you he's just showing now how messed up we get about these things right and some of us are like oh my gosh how could those religious people do that you know mm. but, but we do the, the same kind of things when we put anything in front of helping someone in need. Jesus called these people the least of these, the least. That's why I'm using that phrase, the least. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this, and he talks about the people who, who are sick and in need of care, people who are strangers. He even talks about people in prison. He doesn't very, you know, specify whether they were criminals or not, okay? He says, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. Jesus says, these people who are considered the least in our society, if they are suffering and if they are in need, Jesus is showing with his own example that we put the least first. We put the least first. And this is important today. This is important today. I, just a few years ago, I think this was illustrated pretty well with Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, Chick-fil-A, which has arguably the best chicken sandwich in the world. We've got one, one agreement here. Nobody better say McDonald's. Are you kidding me? What are they doing? Chick-fil-A. But Chick-fil-A, since it started in the 1940s, they don't work on Sundays, right? They take off the Sundays because that's the Lord's Day. That's their Sabbath. They want to give all their employees a day off, so they do that. And as I'm saying that, some of you are like, ooh, I could go for a chicken sandwich. Sorry, not today. But 
But Chick-fil-A is famous for that, but it's also famous or infamous for um, their, their stance because their CEO is a Christian. So it's a Christian-owned company. And Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, is famous or infamous, depending on your circle, for his faith, right? And just a few years ago, he really got smeared um, because he came out in support of traditional marriage between one man and one woman. So people were really attacking him and attacking his whole organization, because, of course, that makes Chick-fil-A um, anti-gay. It means they hate LGBTQ people, right? Well, then, fast forward a little bit to July of 2016, when a uh, young man walked into a nightclub in Orlando, a gay nightclub, and he shot it up, killing 49 people and injuring dozens of others before killing himself. And, and the day after which was Sunday, because this happened on a Saturday night, lines, hundreds and thousands of people were lining up to donate blood to help those who were injured and wounded. And two Chick-fil-A's opened up. N- not to make money, but their employees volunteered their time, came in, made some great chicken sandwiches, got some sweet tea, and they went down and they gave it to all the people standing in line to donate blood. Because they wanted to serve. And they showed, hey, we're willing to, to work on our Sabbath not for ourselves, but for others. To put others first, to put the least first, right? You, you think we hate them? No, 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 we love the least. And, and I think that we as followers of Jesus can look at that. That's a, that's a great example for us. That we can't put our own religious rules or anything like that above serving the least, loving the least, helping the people that are in need. So I just want us to think about in our society, who are the least? Is it the LGBTQ community? Is it people who are immigrants or refugees? Maybe right now it seems like it's the Asian American community in our country. Whatever it is, I want you to think about in your own life, who are the least of these? Who are these people that that are being downtrodden and, and hurt and left alone and people are kind of walking around them, right? Jesus says, go for those people. Put the least first. He showed us by example that that is what we are called to do. But it's, but it's not just the least. He, he says, hey, we, we've got to take the people that are the last as well. The last, and we've got to put the last first. That's what he's going to do next in his teaching because, because he, then he shows up to this guy's party. He's throwing this great big banquet. And, and Jesus looks around at this banquet that they're having f- for him, and he notices people are kind of jockeying for position, right? They want to sit at the most important seat at the table, probably like next to the host or maybe because Jesus was the guest speaker, they all wanted to kind of sit next to him. And this would have been really important in a culture like that. There was almost like a pecking order of who could sit where. People are jockeying for it. And, um, you know, we have similar things in our culture. Maybe it might be like at the, you know, the host table or whatever. We, we, we think of it like at weddings, you know. There's, you know, the bridal party at the front, the close family next to them, more distant family, and then that weird guy that they knew in college, like way in the back, right? that guy I'm sorry but you know like the farther you get away there's like a sense of honor to be closer right and then the farther away one time Melissa and I went to a wedding and and it was great Um, it was a friend we hadn't seen in a lot of time so we we (laughs) the far couples except it happened to have a downpour of rain that day so just like the, the the first like 80 people got to be under the overhang and then everybody else had to like sit there in the freezing cold rain 
And we were in like the freezing cold rain table. So I just imagine it's like that. People are like, I don't want to be in the rain. Got to get at the best table, right? So everybody's jockeying for position. They're, they're looking for the VIP. If you've been to a concert or, or, you know, any sporting event, you know that there's like the special seats, the VIP section. You can't sit over here unless you know the, you know, the people. So there's all these different sections. And Jesus is noticing people are really wanting the best seats, right? They want the best seats of honor. And Jesus says this to them in verse 8. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, he says in verse 10, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is saying, hey, we've got to flip things on their head because what we do is puff ourselves up. We make ourselves important. We want to be at the, the best seat. We don't want to sit at the kiddie table, right? Oh, no, I don't want to be over there, even though that's the best seat in the house, let's be honest. But, but we don't. We want ourselves to be more honorable. I want to be by the important people, the interesting people. You know, I want, I want to be more important. And it's not just that Jesus is talking about wedding parties here. He's not just talking about when you go to a feast, although I think you could apply this very practically at those things. But he's saying wherever it is, don't put yourself first. Put yourself last. Because then you can always be lifted up. But if you put yourself too high, you will be put down. This is important. And he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. What he's talking about is the great reversal that is going to happen at the end. The doomsday that we're talking about when Jesus does come to judge the living and the dead. Those who have puffed themselves up and said, I am important, I am good, I am the best. Those people are actually going to be humiliated on the last day because they have exalted themselves in this life. But those who have humbled themselves to put others first, to put the last first, they will be exalted, Jesus says. And that's why when we, we lower ourselves, when we humble ourselves, we actually do it to put others first. It's not just so that I can be self-debasing. It's not just so that I can put myself down. It's I put myself down so I can lift others up. That's what he's going to continue as he teaches in verse 12. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. On that last day, at the end, if we're really preparing for that, it's how we treat the last here, the lowest. How, how do we treat those people? Do, do we invite the people that we like, that are like us, that are important? Ooh, that'll be an interesting dinner guest, right? That was a CEO, you know. Oh, look, that's a millionaire. Let's invite him. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, flip it. I, I do think that this has practical applications for when we host things, right? Some of you are maybe looking ahead a couple weeks. You're going to host something for Easter. People are starting to get a little more comfortable coming around. Maybe you can be outdoors for a barbecue, have more people over. When you're thinking of your invite list, could you maybe just add one person or one family that you might never have invited? They don't really fit in our circle. 
They don't really, you know, belong with, with our group of friends, okay? It, it, it can be the poor. It can be the crippled. It can be the people with physical handicap. It could be people with mental and emotional handicaps, too. We're looking at those people, the people that are like, I don't know, I don't want to invite that person. That's who you should invite. But I think it even goes beyond just like dinner parties, right? This is about how we do life, how we serve people when, when we're having community groups or inviting people to church, when we're spending time with people. Do we care about the last? And do we take those people and say, no, no, come on, come on. E- even though you might seem like the lowest, I'm going to put myself lower and I'm going to lift you up as I do it. This is what, what Jesus teaches us. In the kingdom of God, everything is so reversed. It's flipped around. In our world, you want to lift yourself up. You want position. You want power. You want acclaim, fame, whatever it is. But, but in the kingdom of God, it's hum- humility. It's lowering ourselves to lift others up. And, and when we do gain power, when we do have privilege or, or stuff or money or whatever it is, we use it to help others. God has, has raised us up so that we can reach down and lift others up behind us, right? That's the kingdom of God. Um, John Newton, who is famous for writing Amazing Grace, wrote a whole bunch of other songs as well. Um, he, he once wrote about this passage. If we can jump ahead, Jason. One more. John Newton said, One would almost think that Luke 14, 12 through 14, the passage we just read, was not considered part of God's word. Nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. If these words do not teach us that it is in some respects our duty to give a preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand them. Uh, I, I think his words just as true today as they were a few hundred years ago when he wrote them. That Jesus says, put the poor, the, the last, first. Care about them the most. What, one of the craziest things to happen in, in the Western world is that people view Christianity as the religion of the middle and upper class, of the elite, of the powerful people. That's not the kingdom of God, though. That's not how it started out. It started out with the poor, the lame, the people that Jesus hung out with, the last and he invited them in. They were his followers. A bunch of fishermen, stinky fishermen. Have you ever smelled a fisherman? They stink, right? Jesus invited them to be his followers. They were uneducated, and yet he loved them. He welcomed them in. He put them first. That's what we're supposed to do, the poor. That's what the kingdom of God is, and that's what the church is as well. And, and this is what we should be about as well. Donald, Donald Miller, I think he got it right on when he said, those who realize the epic story of life is not about them, but actually about the people around them somehow win in the end. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. When you realize it's, it's my role to put the last first, to lift others up, those in poverty, those who are struggling, those with handicap, how can I help them? Students in your school, you look around, who are the kids that are left out, neglected, outcasts, teachers the same way? How can we help those kids that that barely can make it in our classrooms? How can we help them? We we think about in our workplaces, who's the one who's left out? Who's cast out? Who do we see that's poor and, and, and doesn't even feel like they're welcome? How can we invite them in? That's the kingdom of God. That's the way of Jesus to put others first. The problem is is that our heads have grown too big, right? We're thinking too much about our own selves, about what I want, what would be good for me. That's why people were jockeying for position at the table, right? 
We're so worried about ourselves because that's all we think about. Um, I, I heard a, a story from, from his book that came out a couple of years ago from Dan Rather, um, you know, the, the old uh, CBS News nightly news anchor. Well, when Dan Rather took over, he, he took over from a very famous news anchor named Walter Cron- Cronkite a couple years before my time. Raise your hand if you remember Walter Cronkite. Yeah, okay. Type it in online. Okay, but he, he was very famous. People loved Walter Cronkite. Okay, so when he was set to retire and Dan Rather was taken over, the, the CBS kind of warned him and they said, hey, just plan on ratings going down a little bit. It's okay. It'll take at least a year for them to come back up. It, it's all right. But the opposite happened. When he took over, things went really well, and he was popular, and his ratings went up and up and up. So according to him, his head just got bigger and bigger and bigger. He's like, I'm the best in the world. I'm I'm the most coveted position in the news world. Things are good. Look at me. And and he even said that his wife would tell him, like, his head was so big it couldn't fit through the door, right? He just thought he was the cat's pajamas, right? So about a year in, um, he went with his wife, and they were um, going on vacation to her hometown in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And it was this town, he said, of about 37 people in the middle of nowhere. You had to go at the end of a highway to the gravel road, to the dirt road, and then maybe you could find the small town, right? And they were going back to this town, driving for hours and hours in their truck. And, and when they got to the end of the highway, to the gravel road, he noticed that there was a brand new convenience store there on the side of the road. So they said, hey, let's, let's pull over and check it out. So they pull over, and his wife goes in to grab a Dr. Pepper, and she's in there in the convenience store for a long time. Dan is, is in the car kind of checking his watch, figuring out what's going on. He looks in the window, and he sees his wife talking to this guy about their age, and, and they seem really excited and happy. Their hands are in the air. They seem really good, and they keep talking and talking and talking, and he's just getting real frustrated right in the truck. What's taking so long? Finally, when, he come, when she comes back, he says rather condescendingly, what took 27 minutes? Who is that? And she said, oh, it's an old friend from high school. And she said, actually, he was my high school sweetheart. So Dan Rather kind of s- smiles, and he said, honey, think about that. If life had turned out a little bit differently, you'd be here, nowhere, Texas, helping Luther run a convenience store. And she said, no, Dan, I think you got it wrong. If I had married him, he'd be the anchor for the CBS Nightly News. Right? (laughs) Yeah, those of us who are married were like, yes, we understand, right? But we get so inflated, we think it's all about us, don't we? We puff ourselves up and our heads get inflated and we think we're so important and yet it's luck that gets us to the place we are with people around us Um, and yet we think we're so important but we need to do the opposite. We need to humble ourselves, right? And realize we should be the lowest. And if we have anything, it's by the grace of God. So I'm going to put myself lower so that I can lift others up. I'm going to put the last first. That's what Jesus teaches us. And then Jesus moves into a spiritual realm because we, know we need to put the least first, we need to put the last first, but we also need to put the lost first because there are people who need the saving work that only God can bring in their lives, to, to put the loss first. And he's, he's going to teach us this through this parable that he, he does starting in verse 15. And in verse 15, it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Is it going to be great when we're in the kingdom and we're getting rewards? Like this guy's tr- like trying to be all chummy with Jesus. 
And then Jesus tells a story, a parable, about a man who was a wealthy man and he was preparing a great banquet, a great feast. And they send out invites, and in that day they would have sent out probably like a save-the-date thing. Okay, hey, we're going to have this big banquet, this big feast coming up. Send out the the save-the-dates, get some RSVPs. So then when it's the actual day of the party, this master sends out his servant to go invite all these people to come. Now's the day. Today's the day. You said you come. Today's the day to have this great banquet. And that's where we pick up this story in verse 18. It says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The people that were invited, the people that even said, Hey, I'm coming, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. These may seem like legitimate excuses, but they're not. They're far from it. Because these people had had weeks, probably months, advance notice and had said they were coming. And the excuses they give kind of just show that these people were just trying to get out of the banquet. That they just bought a field to go inspect it. Nobody buys a field before they've inspected it. This guy's already seen his field. Okay, another one said they bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to take them out for a spin. If you had five yoke of oxen in those days, you were wealthy. You had servants that could go take out the yoke of oxen for you. And the person getting married, people knew way in advance that they were getting married. They were prearranged. So all of these people had no excuses, but they're using what's going on in their busy lives to excuse them from being where they need to be, from doing what they're supposed to be doing. See, these are people who had been invited and said, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm in, but now weren't living like they were supposed to. Let's translate this spiritually. These are people that had probably been baptized as kids, that they had been part of a family of faith, that they had gone to church at one point, maybe even got married in the church, but, you know, their, their faith isn't as important because they got busy with life, with kids, with marriage, with work, with accumulating wealth and, and property. And they had stopped living in their faith. It says in, in verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. They've already invited all these people off the streets, the poor, the the lowest, the, the last, the lost. And then in verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, translate that as back alleys, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That first group who had already said, sure, I'm in. They'd raise their hand and say, I believe. They're not going to be invited into that banquet at the end. But those at the very end who are poor, who are on the streets, who, who are maybe sinners in those back alleys, if they at the end say, I want to come, they're going to be there. That's what Jesus is saying about the end. That's how it's going to be because the, the master, who, who is God himself, wants his kingdom to be full. He wants every seat at the banquet to be filled. He wants heaven to be more crowded. And he's inviting everybody in, anybody who will come. But sadly, some people will say, yeah, I'll be there. And then they won't because they've gotten so distracted by the busyness of life. And others, 
the very last minute at the end, though they are poor, though they're the outcast, the least, the last, and the lost, they will be there because they have said yes to the invitation. And that's why Jesus tells us too that we need to put the lost first. Those people who don't know Jesus, put them first. We want to invite them in. Go out and invite them and compel them. It even says that in verse 23. Go and compel them. This is like doing everything short of force to get people to come in. Don't just say, hey, you want to come to church? Be like, hey, we want you, and come on, please. I'm going to bake you a meal afterwards. You've got to come. I'm saving you a seat. We're going to miss you, okay? We're doing whatever we can to get people to hear the good news, to be invited into the kingdom so that one day they might be there as well. That's what Jesus is saying here. We need to learn to put the lost first, Jesus says. Lift them up. Use whatever we have to lift others up. In Philippians 2, 3, in one translation, it says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. I want to make sure they get in. I want to make sure they have a chance to accept the good news. I want to make sure they know the love of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. And even if they are the poor, the outcasts, the people that no one wants to go near, the homeless, the immigrant, I want them in. And we should have that same heart. The heart of Jesus. The heart of Christ. And, and isn't this what Jesus did? Isn't this what Jesus did? He cared so much that he showed us with example that he loved the least, the last, and the lost. He spent time with them. He cared about them. Not just, he, he didn't just hang out with the, the wealthy people, the, the religious leaders at banquets. He went with the poor. In fact, he was called a friend of sinners because he would hang out with prostitutes and taxpayers who, who would rip off everyone else because he wanted them in. He loved them. He cared about them. And, and even so much that he would go on the cross and die for them, shedding his own blood so that they could enter in. That's what Jesus did for us to invite us. And that's why we too must step out in the way of Jesus to invite those people in to our church, to our community, to our friendships, to the kingdom of God. But the least, the last, and the lost first. Um, years ago, when I was a student at Denver Seminary, I heard um, Tony Campolo spoke. He came to chapel and spoke. He's a, he's a sociologist by trade, but he's a great preacher. He's been a pastor too. And, and Tony Campolo shared a story about a time where he got, he, he flew into Hawaii and he got in real late at night. I, I remember the story. It's, it's, it's a great one. And while he was there in Hawaii, he got there real late at night, so he was trying to find a place to eat. He couldn't find anything but one tiny diner that was just one of those greasy spoon places. So he goes in at 2.30 in the morning to get a cup of coffee and an old stale donut. And he's sitting there, and I think, you know, the, the guy at the cafe was a big guy. I think his name was like Harry or something. And they're sitting there talking, and he's, he's eating his stale donut, drinking his coffee. And then in walks at 3.30 in the morning, eight or nine prostitutes. You know, they just got off their shift, right? So, so they come into the cafe, and he's just kind of sitting there feeling awkward, a pastor here, you know, and... 3.30 in the morning with a bunch of prostitutes around him. And then he overhears two of them talking. One of them says to the second, she says, oh, did you know tomorrow's my birthday? And the second prostitute says, who cares? What do you think? We're going to throw you a party or something? And the first woman says, no, I didn't think that. I've never had a party in my life. Never had a birthday party. Tony Campolo heard this and his wheels started turning. He was thinking about it and 
and he thought of this woman who, in, in her life, she was about to turn 39, had never had a birthday party. So when she and, and the girls left a few minutes later, he asked Harry, the, the cafe owner, like, who, who was that woman who came in? And he's like, oh, Agnes, yeah, she's great. And he said, well, does she come in here every night? And he said, oh, yeah, she always comes in at about 3.30 in the morning. Agnes is great. She's super nice. So, so Tony Campolo asked him, he says, would it be okay if I come back tomorrow and throw her a birthday party? And Harry's like, sure, that'd be great. And Tony's like, okay, oh, well, I'm going to go. I'll get a cake. I'll, I'll get some decorations. We're, we're going to make this cafe look great so we can throw Agnes a birthday party. And, and Harry's like, I'll make the cake. Uh, that's what I do. I'll make the cake. The guy's wife was really happy. She works there too. So Tony Campolo comes the next evening at 2.30. And he, at 2.30 in the morning, he brings in all of these streamers and confetti and balloons, and he puts them all over the diner to be ready for this birthday party. And word must have got out because a bunch of prostitutes start coming into this cafe. He said every hooker on the island was there, right? And, and, and as he's in this, this cafe waiting, Agnes finally comes in at 3.30. And when she sees, and everyone jumps out, yells surprise, she realizes it's for her and she's just crying, just weeping. Because she's never had a birthday party. She's so just enthralled by the whole thing that she grabs the cake and says, I want to go show this to some people and runs out the door to show people the cake. She's never had a birthday party before. And Tony Campola is standing there with a whole bunch of prostitutes around him, this pastor in the 3.30 in the morning, and, and he says, okay, I think we should pray. What else do you do, right? So, so he says a prayer. He says prayer for all of them, for Agnes in particular. And then after he says amen, Harry the the owner of the diner looks at him and he said, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. <laughs> Tony's like, yeah. And, and the guy says, well, what church do you belong to? Tony Campolo said, I belong to the church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy's like, no, you don't. You can't. I've never heard of a church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd be a part of it. But that is our church. That's the kingdom of God that takes these people, the lowest, the least, the last, and invites them in. Says, we want you. We love you. We care about you. Jesus died for you. So come on in. Because Jesus has died for your sins. And one day we can all feast in the kingdom of heaven together at the greatest party that will ever be thrown. A birthday party for sinners like us, right? Well, we're going to have some baptisms here in a minute. I think we got four people ready for baptism. There's a fifth. I haven't seen him yet today. No, no, no. Just, so we got four. We had two in the first service. We got six today. And these people are publicly declaring that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have accepted that invitation, and now publicly they're saying, I believe. My life has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, and I want other people to know it. So in just a minute, we're going to hear some of their stories, and then we're going to get to watch them get dunked. But I want to do one more thing before we wrap up. Because you should have had a card on your chair. See these cards? These cards are not for you. And if you don't have some, there's a whole bunch of stacks on the table in the back. There's on the table on your way out. I want you to grab one, two, a hundred of these. Because these are your ways to invite people in. Jesus said that, right? Go invite people. Even compel them. Go into the streets. Go into the alleys. Whatever it takes to find people who are far from God. 
the least, the last, and the last, and let's invite them in. And this is an incredible opportunity. Like Michaela shared earlier, people at Easter will come to church or they'll come online and they would never, any time the rest of the year. But maybe this will be the chance where they will finally say, I believe, I accept. And maybe you will get to party in the kingdom of heaven with that person because you gave them a card. Now that's awesome, right? So I want to make sure every single one of these cards gets in the hands of someone that you know. If they're too afraid to come in person, have them come online, okay? There's, there's 100,000 ways we can invite them, but just do it. 82% of people will come to church if you invite them. Did you know that? 82%. So go out there and let's invite. Let's compel them to come in so that they can come too and experience the goodness of God, a, a God that cares for us so much, that loves the least and the last and the lost so much that he would send his own son to die for us. Now that's awesome. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I thank you so much for your word, this word that, that convicts us to go and care for the poor, the needy, the outcast. I pray, Lord God, that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus to help those who are in need around us, to not care about rules, not care about how, how we look or we're putting ourselves for, first, but Lord God, we would put ourselves last, that we would lower ourselves, humble ourselves, love people, invite them in and care for the least, the last, and the lost, just like your son Jesus did. And Lord God, I pray that when we look forward to the end, that, that last day, that, that we would be lifted up. And Lord God, we long for that day, that party, the end. And keep that on our hearts so we will never forget that everything we do in this life for others is worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to watch these videos, and we're going to dunk some people. If you're here and you've never publicly declared your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to do it, come on up and I'll dunk you. Hi, I'm Justin. I'm Eliza. Hi. And uh, my spiritual background, I, uh, I grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, we went to church every Sunday. Um, I then went to live with my dad. Um, we had gotten divorced. Uh, my parents did. Kind of only went during the holidays. Again, her faith has kind of inspired me and made me uh, reflect on some of my past background. And I'm honored that um, Liza and I have been able to cross paths, uh, join together, um, basically, uh, because of this church. I met and I met Jesus very young. My grandma take us, um, my sister and I, to the church every single Sunday. And then we entered to the chorus in the church and my mom went to see us and she received uh, Jesus Christ that, that morning and that was very important for us and then we became a, a family that believer. I work with kids, I, I have a work in missions and I have a, a lot of experience with God. When I was young and like a college, I, I recognized uh, for myself that I need Jesus in my in my soul. I need Jesus to to be a part of my life and and because without him I can be anything. I can do anything. So he was very happy because I was a believer and I and we talk a, a lot about Jesus. We we read a lot of us and we came here in the the church and we decide together by together like a step of obey to Jesus and I don't know to make a bond together. Say thanks to God and, and recognize that 
all that he did in our, in our lives. Um, I want to be baptized, I mean, like Jesus before he gave his ministry is the ultimate example um, for us in our lives. And Jesus, you know, basically is like, you know, no, this is the example that you believe in me. Um, I mean, even though I was a believer before, I think we can always, you know, reflect upon God. Um, you know, like we'll always have um, struggles and testaments, but um, that can be for others, you know, for them to, to turn to God. So kind of to make a good example, uh, we decide we want to do this for each other. So. <laughs> My name is Samantha Ruiz. Um, I've been here for a month now. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I grew up in the church. Um, I came from a life of my mom was a drug addict and an alcoholic and she found the Lord and we ended up coming to church and um, it was just amazing how it happened. Um, I didn't know that I was gonna fall so in love with God as I did. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what he had planned for me um, at all. It was just amazing um, how it all happened. And just knowing that I have a calling and I have a purpose in this life and knowing that he has always been there is just, <laughs> it's just something that is unexplainable, I guess. I want to renew my relationship with God. I want to renew just everything that He stands for, everything that I have known and straight away from Him. I know that He's always faithful and He has never left my side, so I definitely want to renew that. I'm just excited to be here and excited to renew my faith and renew my relationship with him and get closer to where he wants me to be and my calling for that he has on my life. <laughs> uh, my name is Timothy Williams. I've been at Arise Church for a month. Uh, I was born and raised in, in the church. Uh, my mom and dad are from uh, a ministry, a really well-known ministry. And so with that, um, I, I strayed away from, uh, from the faith for a while. Um, I, God delivered me pretty much from witchcraft, really. I used to be afraid to, to mention that to people. Um, but uh, now that I realize that straying away from God and Him bringing me back to Him, that's my testimony of knowing that you know, not to take his discipline lightly. So um, I'm just happy that he kept me from from that stuff. Uh, just to make my faith known, uh, renewing my faith and my relationship with Christ, because that's what's what's important. You know, knowing that uh, he has great plans for me. Um, I know he's called me to to, to minister to uh, the people around the world, and as an evangelist, having that heart to to just reach people for Jesus. I'm just so happy that I that God's blessed me with my wife and some and my children. So uh, that's just a testimony in itself that even though I'm faithless, He's faithful because uh, He can't deny His own. So. Hi, my name is Kamal Saldogo, and I can't wait to get baptized. I was born in Georgia, and I'm from Africa. 
I've always been a Christian, raised by a Christian mom and a Muslim dad. Uh, when I was born, they gave my life to Jesus. They commanded me to Jesus. Yeah. Every night we used to read our Bible and worship. Yeah, I really like that. I decided like about a year ago, cause yeah, I really like Jesus. But COVID hit, so I can't do it. I read my word every morning and night, and. Yeah, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and I just finished Romans. I love Matthew 10, 20 says, you are not the one who speaks, but I speak through you. I feel more relieved, happy, and yeah. Baptism means to me a new life in Christ, as Christ died and rose again three days ago. All right, here at Arise Church, baptisms are a party. So yeah, you guys can stand up. Um, they're a party, they're celebrations, um, because we are celebrating with the angels. That's what it says, when one sinner repents, angels are rejoicing in heaven, and we rejoice, we celebrate, we cheer when, when people make that decision to get into the water. So Liza, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And the, the person helping them, each person gets to invite someone who's been really important in their spiritual journey um, to help them into the water. So thank you guys for, for helping with these baptisms too. Justin, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Woo! is your Lord and Savior. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Woo! Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I do. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. All right, let's worship our Lord and Savior together.
more song to sing tonight, this morning. Let's sing to our King. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. It's what a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. The name of Jesus, cause death could not hold you, the veil torn before you, silence the boast of sin and grace, the heavens are mine, the Let's baptize some more of our family. We love you guys. See